All right, if you can grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. If I haven't had a chance to personally meet you, my name is Howard and I'm one of the leaders here. We've been going through a series on work. And you might be thinking, why would I want to come all the way to church to hear the preacher talk to me about work? I'm trying to escape it. Well, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've found out that work, or if we can think of it as creativity, was given to us even before sin entered the world. We're going to be right now stepping into a five-week season of our church where we're going to ask not a question about what's my individual work, but what's the work of the church? Where are we supposed to be creative together? Many of you that are part of our church family know that when someone joins our church, we ask them to take vows. It's as serious and as beautiful as a wedding. One of the vows that we make to each other is this. Will you support the worship and work of the church? We get this cool little phrase, to the best of your ability. What I want to ask you to do over the next five weeks is to the best of your ability, live into that promise that we've made to each other. And when I think of work or creativity, I I often think of a musical instrument. Some of you know when you were a kid, mom or dad forced you to work at that instrument. You practiced for years. We wanted our children to experience that, so we we, we purchased, well, actually I think we got as a gift from my mother-in-law, a Wurlitzer piano. And we've moved it And over the years, our kids have banged on it. So my wife found a couple of weeks ago a piano tuner. And as we look at what we're going to do together over the next five weeks, I want you to think about retuning our hearts. She finds this piano tuner. His name is Leshik. He comes in the house. Old guy. I say, Leshik, where'd you get that name? I'm a Polish piano player. He sits down and I can't just leave him alone. And I go... Why do you tune a piano? I've always wondered. He says, it's really easy. There's three things you've got to do. Step one, start with the middle C. Step two, tighten up the loose strings and loosen up the tight strings. And step three, you have to take your groupings, those groups of eight, those octaves, and you have to actually harmonize them together. Well, that's exactly what we're going to be doing. Check it out. Today, we're going to tune all of our hearts to grace. Our church began and based everything on grace. In fact, I want you all to say with me what the vision of our church is. Would you all say this with me? What's our vision? Creating a church together where we connect people to the transforming grace of God. I went upstairs and I I listened and I heard him kind of hit the middle C. And then I heard him tightening and loosening. Finally, when he got done bringing those different groups of notes together, he played. I heard the grace of the music. Well, that second thing that he did, though, is he says sometimes the strings get a little loose. I would bet that many of you, even though you know you were saved by grace, you're trying to transform your experiences with your own effort. That is not the story of Scripture. We've got to tighten up that. We in our church say we're going to go out to the lost because of grace. We're going to gather and worship. We're going to grow really deep and we're going to give. And some of our strings of our heart are really loose. 
But he also said it's rare on a piano, but sometimes a string will become sharp. Some of you, unfortunately, are like me. You get excited about one of those areas. All I care about is lost people. All I care about is the church family. All I care about is getting deep with the Word. All I care about is just giving to my community. If you have become sharp in one of those areas, I'm glad that you're doing that, but we've got to play the music together. Over the next five weeks, would you loosen up where maybe you are pushing a good thing, but it affects the music? Oh, and I can't wait as the groupings of our people, some of us that love the Go, Gather, Grow, Give, we're going to harmonize to each other. It's going to be an awesome five weeks, but today we need to hit the middle C. And to do that, would you please stand as we listen to the gospel music from Romans chapter 12. Paul says this after he has 11 chapters where he tunes them to grace. He says, Now I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, my heart becomes untuned. I sin. I get fearful. I see so little transformation. And yet, Lord, your word is true. Father, I pray... I pray that over these next five weeks, beginning right now, that, Father, by your mercy and grace, would you take these words off the page, send them deep into our hearts, and transform us by your Spirit. Lord, would you tune our hearts to the voice of your Spirit even now? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. When I grew up, every once in a while, I'd grab the paper and I would look at the peanuts, uh, you know, the Snoopy and all that. And I used to love when Charlie Brown would go to Lucy for some help. Y'all remember kind of saying, you know, for just a nickel, the doctor will be in and good old Charlie could sit down. One of my favorite strips was when Charlie is hanging out. And Charlie, is a, he's a guy that, maybe like you, he doesn't experience a lot of transformation. Hey, you know, preacher gets up, woo, he's just going, not me. In this one strip, he sits down next to Lucy, and I want you to put yourself in his shoes. Lucy says to Charlie, Charlie Brown, look, maybe I can put it another way about your life. Life is like a deck chair. Charlie Brown goes, like a what? Like a deck chair. Lucy explains, have you ever been on a cruise ship, Charlie? Passengers open up these deck chairs so they can sit in the sun. Some people place their chairs facing the rear of the ship so they can see where they've been. Other people face their chairs forward so they can see where they're going. On the cruise ship of life, Charlie Brown, which way is your deck chair facing? Charlie Brown looks up at her and says, I've never even been able to get mine unfolded. I know you. Now, if you're a guest today, I don't know you just yet, but it'll become clear. Some of you love to sit in the back, especially if you're part of an awesome church like Metro, and just kind of look at the history of the church. 
John and Jackie will talk your ear off about years ago. And there's nothing wrong. But if you think that the history is the destiny, you don't know Jesus. Because he's created us for eternity. Others of you are probably a bit more like me. And sometimes it's temperament. I don't just get up to the front of the cruise ship like I want people to lower me over with a rope so I can paddle faster. I see so many things in the kingdom. And it may be a curse of pastors that we, I can see in your lives not only current transformation. Cece, I can see you blooming like a flower in the next couple of years. Oh my goodness. Jonathan, when I met you, you were this little wilted flower. I shouldn't refer to you as a flower, but you are a male nurse. I can go there. Jonathan, man, you are rooted in grace and growing. You led a men's breakfast on John Calvin? Never would have saw that coming. I can go to each person in here and say, look at what's going to happen because of grace and your transformation. Is that where you are? Are you more wired to say, I can't wait to get out of bed in the morning because I, I just want to see what happens next? Well, for most of you that are like Charlie Brown, you're like, I don't even know how to get my chair open. Romans 12 is going to tell us two things today about transformation. Number one is this. If we want to understand God, grace will transform our minds. We're going to have to think very differently over the next couple of weeks. Or said another way, we need to get a new orientation about what's going on in reality. So number one, grace transforms our mind. You want the secret of transformation? I'll give it to you right now. It's the renewal of your mind. Look at it again in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul had these Roman Christians, and he wrote them a letter because they were forgetting about how grace changes them. The note C, the middle C, the basis and beginning of everything. They had forgotten. So he writes them 11 chapters, and he could have commanded them, but he gets kind of emotional. He appeals to them. Notice he does not ask them or advise them. Asking would have implied that what Paul was going to say was essentially not really that important. He, as a fellow brother, urges them, exhorts them. He passionately pleads to say, give me your attention. And the way he gets their attention is he says, I'm going to tell you to be transformed, but I'm going to motivate you by mercy. Mercy. It's a Christian word. It's totally lost its flair. Mercy is not grace. Grace is you don't earn God's favor and he gives it to you. Mercy is so much deeper. It's grace exponential. The Puritans, the old Christians, used to say, mercy is not undeserved grace. It's ill-deserved grace. God comes to us when we're actively sinning against Him. When we're running and unfaithful, He comes to us, outruns us, shows Him His love, and says, you are ill-deserving, but I can't live without you. Mercy Romans 1 to 11, read it today. It's unbelievable over and over. Mercy, what are those mercies? It's the story of our sin which disconnects us from God. God saves. His gracious action is He saves us by sending His only Son. 
We deserve death for our sin, but Christ arrives, pardons us, accepts us, and then places his perfection on us and favors us forever. We're saved by grace, through faith. Now, I need to pause right here because what I've found being your pastor now for these three years is that sometimes you guys think you're actually saved by faith, but then you have to act. But when I watch your lives and I've listened to you, what I think you actually are thinking is you're saved by your faithfulness. That is not good news. That will not motivate you. You will never be transformed. Let me make sure I'm clear. You are not saved initially by your great resistance to sin. You are totally unable to resist the smallest of your sins, even if it's the strand of a spider web. You're hopeless until the Spirit of God gives you new life and you can see Christ. You are hopeless. You are never going to be saved by your faithfulness. The difference between those two syllables, faithful, and faithfulness makes all the difference in the world. Let me say it this way. You are not saved by the quality of your faith, but by the object of your faith. This is the difference between good and bad news. It's the difference actually between a true and a false gospel even. Approval by faithfulness shifts the source of your righteous standing with God onto you, and it's not a good place to shift it. Approval by faith in the performance of Christ is altogether different. So Paul says, look, I've got to get your attention. I'm going to give you a big command. It's over the top. It's going to be be transformed, but I've got to motivate you. I've got to give you some fuel. I can't tell you to get into a car and drive if you don't have the fuel, and the fuel is mercy. Paul mentions what Christ has already done. And then he urges the Roman Christians, do something. The gospel isn't do this and live, but view this and think this and trust this and then do this with joy. Do what? Be transformed. Transformed? What does that mean? My shoes are getting old. I go to Amazon, buy a new pair of shoes. I'm transformed. That is not what the word means. You'll look cool for a couple of days with those new shoes, but they'll get scuffed. Or Amazon will get the order wrong. Or you'll lose interest in them after a few days. Transformation, this command to be transformed, is changing from one thing into altogether another thing. Oh, Howard, I know. It's like a, a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. Absolutely not. They're too similar it would be more like this. Imagine an unfaithful bride. She sleeps around, contracts diseases, is put in the hospital. The doctor says you will never have children. And her husband walks in the room, holds her hand. She looks away because she's so shameful. And out of his kindness, he says, I forgive you. And he smiles at her with favor. And he says, you can try to shake me, but I will never let you go. But I can't have children. I love you because I simply love you. Paul is saying, this mercy will transform you. And notice he doesn't say be transformed as an individual. I hope you just choose Jesus and wow. It's plural. It's all the Romans. I totally hope that over the next five weeks, this group of people, by God's mercy, will be transformed. But it ain't just about you. It's about you, and it's about you. 
All of you together, I want you to experience, by the mercy of God, transformation. And even all of you over here. Like, this won't work if we all, as a family, are not talking and transforming and reminding each other of the gospel. One of the reasons I can't wait for my focus group tonight is that I need to hear again from you that the gospel of grace is true. I forget the letter C, the note C. I get off playing weird music where I have to, by my own effort and faithfulness, prove to God that I'm favorable. I need you over these next five weeks like I've never needed you before. Be transformed. It's plural. How if it's by grace? It's one of the weirdest commands I've ever seen in Scripture because it's a passive command. That means you don't got to do anything. How can you change? How can you reinvent your life? I mean, if I at least want to change my shoes, I've got to go to Amazon and get them. No, no. This is a weird command, but it's exactly what it says in the Greek. Be transformed. Stay passive. You can't pull this off. The Christian message has always been this. Do the hardest, easiest thing. Put your hands out and trust what will land in them. This picture has helped me. You got a little baby. That baby did not consult mom and dad and say, from your love and favor, have me. No, that baby just came. But that baby has to be transformed. It's a, it's a little fat little thing. It's got to get up. It's got to walk. It's got to start thinking. So dad takes a bottle and puts it at the mouth. Passively, this child did not get born. This child did not create the milk. All the child has to do is take in what was given freely. Be transformed. It's a command. All of us are children that need to take in this together. We receive and we drink in this reality of grace and it will transform us because it's from outside of us and the Spirit living in us will grow everything we need to have a reinvented life. He uses the very strength given to us when we receive it to help us live and grow. Listen closely. I appeal to you. Listen closely, just like Paul. To transform is this. What you do. Transform is this. It's what you do when you realize you do not have to do anything to start or source your salvation or your transformation. I've got to say that again because this is really, we've got to hit the note C. We can't tune the rest. You will be transformed when you do it's what you do when you realize you do not have to do anything to start or source your salvation. Grace transforms. You know, over the last three years, I've seen some of you who are grumpy people become the most grateful people. I've seen some of you who are so fearful become trusting. I've seen fathers who prioritize sports and statistics and they become more prioritized on studying their children, where if I said, what is your little girl's favorite stuffed animal? They would know. I've seen the panic become peaceful. I've seen such guilty people walk around glowing with absolute acceptance. Now, they struggle like I do. I've seen the shameful become vulnerable. I have seen so many people imprisoned by their addictions break free. Here, God's grace is the stimulus, the catalyst, and the creator of deep 
transformation. Paul's trying to motivate him. By the mercy, you ill-deserving sinner, be transformed. How? How? Got to renew your mind. You got to get a totally different new orientation to all things. Grace is going to shift you, reshape you. It's going to restructure and alter your mindset. It's going to do something different to your spiritual vision. Now, our culture likes the idea of dreams. America is built on the backs of people like P.T. Barnum. I get a million ideas. I'm thinking about these things and I will make my life transformed. I love the movie, by the way. Go see it. It's a great musical. And here's some of the words that P.T. Barnum is singing before he creates his circus. The brightest colors fill my head. A million dreams are keeping me awake. I think, notice that phrase? I think of what the world could be, a vision of the one I see. A million dreams is all it's going to take. Maybe in your life you're saying, I want to be transformed. But how do I conjure it up? What if you didn't have to? What if... Your transformation happened because the scriptures give you a vision that you could never come up with. It's so over the top and transformative. Where do we go to see a vision? Where do we go? We do not have to lie awake at night creating our own. We are given the vision of God about the work of his church. So let me transition. Grace will always transform our minds, but it doesn't stop there. Grace, then, will transform our mission. What are we doing? Or, if you like, it changes the way we orient our lives. And when you do that, it will always change the way you organize your lives. What do I mean? There's no better vision popped into the vision of our, of our mind than Isaiah 54, verse 1. Let me read it and I'll explain it. And I know for some of you, you're like, Howard, you're taking me to Romans and now Isaiah... I don't want to lose you here, so stay with me. Let's read it and I'll explain it. The point is that grace will always transform our mission. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet says. Sing, O barren one, who didn't bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Some of you don't know the Christian story, or some of you have been doing religion for years and you've forgotten the Christian story or were never taught. Who was Isaiah? Isaiah was someone just like you. His life saw no transformation and God showed up and said, Isaiah, you're going to be my prophet, which means you're going to get a vision. Well, I got all kind of things. No, I'm going to give you a vision. God, you can't use me to like write this down for people living in 2018. Because I'm a dirty, guilty man. Oh, Isaiah, I come to people who are dirty. I touch that dirty mouth of yours through sacrifice, and you have to speak the vision. So 700 years before Jesus would arrive, 2,700 years before we would be here, Isaiah is given a portal to peek through. And he looks into the future, and the future dribbles into his present, and he writes this down. What does it mean, this woman who can't have kids? What is this all about? And he's then going to bring up a tent. In the dead silence, Isaiah says, song will start to emerge. The middle sea. 
In the dead silence, grace will enter the story. Why is this woman singing? Because she's going to have kids. But in the book of Isaiah up to 53, the, the woman, the bride of Christ, didn't want the man anymore. She became very much a prostitute. So much so that she forgot that grace was supposed to draw the nations into Israel. She didn't want to mother the nations. She wanted to live on her own. But God said, Isaiah, take a look at what's going to happen. My son, Isaiah 53, will come and die for his bride. In Isaiah 54, he will take her into his arms and she will have a baby. And she's going to have more babies. More children will be coming. The motherhood that's, that is the position of the church and the people of God will not end in exile. It's just the beginning. But she's barren. How does a barren person have children? She cannot. We cannot become spiritually alive by trying harder. We have no capability. There has to be a supernatural invention. Let me tell you something. If you're trying to figure out if you want to get involved in Christianity, the only thing that you can contribute to Christianity if you want in is your necessary sin. You cannot bring your creative, transformative work effort but you bring your necessary sin. Grace comes to transcend our failed ability to transform our inability. This is good news for some of you that say, I will never change. Can I read this again? Grace comes to transcend your failed ability to transform your inability. While you are barren, God comes to you and says, Broaden your tent. What? A, we're going to read this in a minute. Ladies, follow me here. In that culture, the woman was in charge of the tent. If children started to come, they would have to go out and get these strips of cloth made of dark goat's hair, and they would have to add strips to the tent. I sees this woman who can't have kids, and this woman is commanded. And Isaiah had to write it down. He was given this vision. It's going to change everything. Five commands. Let me read verse 2. He says to this woman, Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Some of you know the Christian story when Abraham, who wasn't a Christian, wasn't a, he, he didn't even want God. God says, Abraham, you and your wife Sarah, you're going to have some babies. And you're going to get to tell the whole world that I'm a God of grace. But Abraham goes, Sarah's like really old. In fact, God goes to Sarah and Sarah laughs. Now, some of you think about Metro North Church, planting churches, building a sanctuary. And deep, 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 you are laughing. Like a hyena you're laughing. Because we're just a little church in Goose Creek. Abraham was told, you're wife, Sarah, will have the stars. Do you have a picture of the stars? Look up there, Abraham. You're not going to have a kid. Sarah will have so many people connected to grace. Get ready for the stars. Isaiah gets this vision. He reminds the people of God, you better change your organization, your mission to fit reality. 
In Jewish culture, the woman was in charge of this tent. Show them a typical tent there. This is a tent. But what happens if you start to bring in more kids? Here's the inside of a, a small tent. Okay, it works. Right now, guys, Metro works. Oh, it so works. And we could just enjoy the nice tent. But the woman was told, oh, you've got to reorganize. More kids means a larger tent. Here's a larger tent. Oh, that's going to take work to get there. But the transformation of a nice little cuddly place into a tent that will receive more children. And if you get a larger tent and the wind hits the tent, you better strengthen it. So you've got to get some longer tent pegs. Like you're going to have to change and restructure your organization. Transformed thinking with the mind leads to transformed mission. Think. We prepare for growth by doing two things. Notice it says it's just so easy here. I just, I'm so glad that what Isaiah saw wasn't just difficult to get. It's two actions. Strengthen and lengthen. Strengthen and lengthen. Strengthen. I love this building. I remember the first time I worshipped here. Jenny Aban was up here singing and I was just like, this is awesome. I came from a church that was meeting in a high school. We've got ourselves a community building. And I sat in here and I sang with all of you. And I thought, I wonder how old this thing is. And then the leader said, it's old. We have been using this building for God for 20 years in the roof leaks. And we're running a school. And the roof leaks, and the carpet's getting moldy, and the stress and the strain of 20 years on the structure needs some help. The vision was strengthened. We have a chance to strengthen this center of great community service, but we also have to lengthen. It's time to stretch out with a second facility, a sanctuary of worship. It's going to have a spacious mingling area. We have to ready ourselves for the new children God will bring who need relational connections, deeper community. Grace, when it gets into you, always challenges us to make more space. Get longer ropes. I love how she's told this. Don't you hold back. Some of us will go, I don't know. I do we not an option. Isaiah, you've got to give a vision because people don't typically get these crazy visions of what could happen. Tell them not to hold back. Tell that woman who will have child after child after child and she's making the tent bigger and bigger. Don't you hold back. Don't hold back. My wife sent this to me a few weeks ago when we had a real cold experience. At CSU, she walked by this frozen fountain. I thought it was the greatest, coolest thing. And when I was preparing for this, I was like, uh-oh, conviction. What if that's what we do? What if we get convicted that we built this church on grace and we created a, a storage facility for that conviction? We put that conviction into cold storage, baby. I'm tired of driving around Goose Creek and seeing storage facilities. There's no life in a storage facility. It's a bunch of stuff getting old. The people of God are to be gushing out. You know, somebody's like, why do we got balloons? Something we do as human beings when we're excited is we got to like blow air into something. We got to get it bigger. I don't know if that's some weird way of like when somebody gives birth, that belly gets big. I don't know why we make balloons. 
But if something happens, we have to take something and stretch it out. We can't hold back. Imagine being at a party and you're like the dad and the mom's like, the wife's like, okay, blow the balloons up. And the dad puts just little bits of air in. Don't hold back, man. I'm asking you to blow the balloons up because we need all your power. Do not hold back. This woman wasn't given the option to hold back. Be optimistic in expansion, not short-sighted. Don't get pessimistic about how many children will be added. Dream. We are reflecting God to the fullest when we overflow with stretching, spreading, extravagant generosity. This word is used of God when it says he stretches out the stars. Remember that picture I showed? Sarah will have stars. He says to this woman, you know how God speckles the galaxies with billions and billions of stars? Stretch out your organization, please. Get it ready. Prepare for what's going to happen. Some of you are sitting there doubtful, though. Howard, calm down. This is like 2,700 years ago ancient history. No, it is not. Because this very prediction shows up in Galatians and it's applied to the church. Let me read it to you so that you don't, you don't think I'm making this up. You, church, you need to see yourself as the mother of a growing family. Let me read it to you. Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, historical event, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. What, what, what was this point? To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And here's where Isaiah is quoted. The same vision. It's written. It's promised. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Jesus arrived in history. He arrives in history to build a growing family. And right before he leaves, he says, get out there to all the nations. I love looking around this congregation and seeing people from Cameroon and Jamaica and Goose Creek. Oh my goodness, the nations. Are we ready for the nations to continue to come into our church? What's a church? It's an incubator of grace. We strengthen. We lengthen. But some of you are going, planning more churches. Where do you get that? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 3. Same vision. Same woman. By the way, she's not even had a baby yet. You will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. This term in Hebrew, spread abroad, is water that bubbles up and it bursts, it explodes exponentially in all directions. I don't think I can explain this better than this picture in this short video. Elaine and I and the kids came from Northern California. You all probably know over the last five years there's been a lot of drought over there. Well, last year there's been so much of a drought that people just kind of stopped taking care of the reservoirs. But about a year ago right now, the Oroville Dam started to have problems because it began to rain. And the people weren't prepared for it because all they knew was it don't rain too much. Show the video. Now the integrity of a major dam in California comes under threat. After days of historic rainfall in the region, William Brangham has our report.
At Northern California's Lake Oroville, home to the nation's tallest dam, water levels finally receded, which stopped the overflow of water from the dam's emergency spillway. This reduced the risk of the spillway's complete collapse, which would have triggered uncontrolled flooding and threatened tens of thousands of homes below. At a press conference, local officials couldn't answer why the system failed. I'm not sure anything went wrong. Um, I think, you know, the damage that that system's been installed uh, since the uh, early 1960s. Um, it's been looked at. It's been monitored. Today, they faced a much tamer scene than on Saturday. Officials had to open the dam's emergency spillway for the first time in 50 years because of record high water levels caused by recent heavy winter rain and snow. When water was drained from the dam's main spillway, the huge volume eroded chunks of concrete and dug a 30-foot deep hole at its base. It was then that officials opened the emergency spillway. When that water started eroding the earthen embankment, officials feared the wall would collapse altogether. And so on Sunday, authorities ordered the evacuation of nearly 200,000 people. Because they weren't ready. That's an interesting term, spillway. I think if Isaiah could have would have lived at our time, he would have found that term. Are you ready to create spillways to the left and to the right for what is going to happen when your church continues to connect people to grace? This is the promise. This is the prophecy. As more people flood into our surrounding communities, and y'all know that they are, the neighborhoods that you're living in are people moving in. People are moving here in record numbers. The, the public school system cannot make schools quick enough, and they've got to make them before the kids arrive, and they're already behind. Why don't we, on a spiritual level, get ready for the spiritual children that God is going to connect? I have more belief. Do you? That God wants to connect sinners to grace, then that we have to fill up the next public school. I'm not saying we don't have to get our schools ready, but church, let's be ready. Exciting, yes. Scary, a little bit. Should we have caution? Isaiah tells us the end of his prophecy. Should we have caution? Look what it says. Fear not. You will not be ashamed. Be not confounded. That's an interesting word. It means don't get confused in your thinking. For the next five weeks, as you start to try to figure out what is this church all about and what am I being asked to do to play my part, you don't need to get confused. It ain't going to happen. Don't become fearful. You will not be confounded, and you will not be disgraced. The biggest fear, if you don't know it in your life, is that somehow you will lose a connection to God's grace. You will not be disgraced. It is impossible. If it's impossible to be disgraced, disconnected from the ocean of God's love, doesn't that ready us to do some really radical, transforming things? We need a shift in our mindset to transform this campus to multiply ministries and mission. And remember, we're rooted in God's invincible resources. I want you to start to ask yourself, where is God going to ask you to transform? In your thinking, and then in how you get excited about the way we are changing our organization, your orientation and your organization. I want to be super clear right here. 
What are we hoping to do on a spiritual level? Get so soaked in grace and how it moves us to go, gather, grow and give. And we're going to look at those over the next four weeks that we'll be ready to transform our campus with a new worship facility. Lengthen. We also need to take care of this building. Strengthen. And let's have some babies. Let's spill out over the next couple of years a church and another church and another church and another church. Now, at this point, most of you are like, Howard, just hit the pause button. You are just crazy. Remember that being transformed is a group effort. We have a huge team behind the scenes that have worked a long time to help us prepare. In fact, Joe, say hi to this guy in the back and his wife. He has helped us in a lot of ways to prepare. But we have a team, and I want to call Brian up, because you know these big words I keep using? Orientation. Think a different way, like see these dreams. Organization. Let's structure it. Brian is sort of our dude that we would say helps us with operation. He's the guy on the ground going, Howard, let me explain to our people in non-preacher words on how in the world we're going to move forward. So, Brian, would you do that? And then would you pray for us? And after Brian does that, we'll all respond in song. All right, before I get into the details of uh, what we have for you guys and what we're asking over the next few weeks, I just wanted to uh, go over something myself and wanted to acknowledge that you know, Tom Wood, who planted this church, he understood grace and he brought that message of grace to Goose Creek. But by God's will and wisdom, when he arrived to plant a church, it was just prior to Hurricane Hugo hitting. So before he was able to begin planning a church, he had to go on mission. He chose to go on mission because he knew what grace motivated him to do. He met needs of people in this community because he knew it needed to be done, and he did it because of the gift that he'd been given by God. That's the, that's the heritage of this church. That's the culture that has been built into this church from the beginning. We're at the next step. You know, we, we who, those of us who have been here for a while, and, and even some of you who are relatively new, you know, we've shared joy together. We have had wonderful times. We've had difficult times. We've cried together. And that's all part of being in a church. That's all part of sharing life together. But this is where we find ourselves right now. We're at this point where we're asking ourselves, what do we need to do? What is God calling us to do? And where is he moving us as a congregation? And it's for his glory. So now for some of the details. If you haven't already received it, you should be receiving in the mail an invitation to what we're calling rendezvous meetings. So these are smaller group meetings. Some will be in homes. Some will be here at the church. But it's an opportunity for you to come and hear on a little bit smaller scale, a little bit more intimate setting, what we have planned, what the vision is for this church. So we're asking everybody to RSVP, let us know who's coming. We have a team that's been working on this, putting things together. It's very helpful for them to know how many to expect. And we really, really encourage you to attend those meetings. So come out and hear 
where this vision is going, what we have planned for this church. So that's the rendezvous meetings. Um, before you leave today, if you have not already picked it up on your way in, please stop by the table over here and we have a, a packet, information packet for you. It's our transform packet. I'm just going to take a minute to go through what is in that. Uh, first thing you'll find in there is this booklet. It's our transform booklet. And mainly what this is, it's a four-week devotional. So we're asking everybody to go through this. begins tomorrow. We want to be doing a devotional, going to God on a daily basis as a congregation, you know, getting in the Word, seeing what God has to say, prayerfully considering our part in this transform thing that we're talking about. So we have that. There's also a bookmark in there. And that on the back of that bookmark, for each day of the week, there are uh, ministries and different aspects of the church that we're asking everybody to pray over and pray about. So, you know, each day for the next four weeks, you know, pull this bookmark out. Look at whatever day of the week it is and pray. Uh, also, uh, you have this little one-pager with a magnet on the bottom of it. And this is information about a prayer vigil that we're holding. It begins at 4 p.m. on February 9th, and it goes until 4 p.m., on Saturday, February 10th. So we're, we're planning a 24-hour prayer vigil. So, again, we're asking everybody to be in prayer. Now, there's an opportunity to sign up for specific times in the back. Uh, some will be done here. Some will be done at home, depending on the time. And there's more information here on that. But what I want you guys to take away out of, of these three things, the devotional, the bookmark, and the prayer vigil, is... As we've covered in the sermon, you know, what, are, what are we called to do? What is Paul saying to us? We're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can discern the will of God. What are the gifts that God gives us to discern his will? He gives us his word, and he gives us the gift of prayer. So we're asking everyone over these next four weeks to be in the word through the devotional, to be seeking God's will in prayer for what you as an individual what you as families and what we as a congregation are being called to do in this community for his glory. And the final thing you will find in the packet is an envelope that has a pledge card. Now, you go ahead, you can pull that out, you can read it. After you've read it, I'd like you to take that and put it away. Because right now I want you to focus on the devotionals. I want you to focus on prayer. There's information about, you know, pledging on the pledge card. You know, it's a, it's a we're asking for a three-year commitment. But again, you know, don't don't focus on that right now. Focus on what God is calling you to do, calling us to do, as a body of believers in this community. And finally, um, see, we're making a big deal out of this. We feel this is very important. So. I want you guys to be here every Sunday. I really enjoy coming and worshiping with everybody, but especially over these next four weeks, please make every effort to be here, to come together in worshiping the living God as we do these other things so that we may grow together as a congregation and seek out his will for where he is leading us as we seek to transform our hearts and minds. Please join me in prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I do ask that uh, you would transform us. Lord, you have given us the gift of salvation. You've given us the gift of grace through your Son. Lord, I pray that we would recognize the wonderful thing that you've done for us and that you would motivate us to go out to proclaim your word, proclaim that gospel to the people in our community, to the people we come in contact with. Lord, I just ask that you work a mighty work in us as individuals and as in us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.